Hey, what's good, fam? We appreciate you tuning in to the South City Church Podcast. It's our prayer that as you hear the better story of Jesus, you might experience more of his redemptive power in every square inch of your life. Hey, we're a church plant. We benefit greatly from outside support. So if you'd like to partner with our ministry here, you can go to southcityrva.com slash give and join us in seeing strangers made family in Christ in Richmond and beyond. God bless and shalom. So you may turn to Psalm 46. Um, as, you, as you turn there, uh, this, this morning's sermon is about two realities. Two realities that often coexist simultaneously in our lives at the same time. Most of us live our lives acutely aware of one of these realities. We spend our lives with an awareness of this reality in our circumstances. But the other reality is kind of like a a snow leopard. Right? We've seen on National Geographic that this animal exists. But this mysterious, elusive animal never crosses our path. And we definitely don't think about snow leopards on a day-to-day basis. So there's two realities. And even before we read our text, to help us think about the first reality, I want you to, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine with me that you are by a mountainous coast where the mountains meet the ocean. It's a warm day. There's a breeze. Imagine the coastal breeze upon your skin. You feel the warm sun upon your face. Smell the sea. Imagine looking up and seeing the strength and the beauty of the mountains behind you. And now imagine that as you sit there on the beach, a storm rolls in and catches you unaware. Dark storm clouds now cover the sky before you even have time to flee. Hurricane winds pick up. The calm sea turns to a mad chaos as waves crash against the rocks. This is a storm unlike any you've ever ever experienced. And amidst the hurricane, you realize the earth is also shaking from an earthquake. This is a storm so furious that you notice the mountains behind you begin to crumble like sand and literally roll into the sea. Mountains that just a few moments ago reminded you of strength and security are crumbling to the ground. And it all happens so fast, you don't have time to escape. You're stuck. What do you feel? Imagine if this were real, what your body and your mind would feel. You can open your eyes. And we're going to read Psalm 46 together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to come back to the, the, the original setting, the first reality in our life, which the psalmist paints the picture in verses 2 and 3. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the, the psalmist is painting the, the, the picture of trouble in a broken, in a broken world. The earth is giving way. Mountains are crashing into the sea. The sea is swelling and roaring and foaming. In the, in the ancient world, the, the, the sea was a picture of chaos and confusion and, and danger. It was unknown. It was chaotic and it was ever-changing. Conversely, the mountains were a symbol of security stability and blessing. You could say permanence. So the author is painting a, a picture of the sea overwhelming the mountains. Chaos is overtaking security. Do you ever feel that in your life? Are there days where it feels like the chaos is overwhelming the security of your life. This picture is, is one of those days, one of those seasons where all hell is breaking loose in your life. Can you identify with that? Maybe on a large scale, maybe on a small scale. How about your life right now? What is the raging sea of trouble in your life? What in your life during this, this season feels chaotic, out of control? What do you look to in your life for security that is being overtaken by uncertainty and trouble? This is the first reality of being human. And if we're actually human, and if we're a Christian, we have to acknowledge this reality. We can't pretend like it doesn't exist. 
But then the psalmist moves on, and he moves on really abruptly to verse 4. There's an abrupt transition here, and this is to the second reality in verse 4 and 5. He says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And so here we move from a raging sea to a river whose streams make glad a city. Right? So the, the river, again, is a picture of restoration. It's a picture of uh, blessing. Whereas the sea depicts the unruly waters over, overwhelming the land, depicting utter chaos, the river here is under control. And it brings gladness to the, to the place, to the city of God. So there's a river here. There is a glad city. And notice it says that it's a city in verse 5 that cannot be moved. Do you hear the contrast to the, the previous stanza? In the previous stanza, the mountains of security are being moved into the sea. And here, there is a city that cannot be moved. So what is this city? You may read and think, oh, maybe it sounds a little bit like Eden. All right, if you think back to the Garden of Eden, there was a river running through the center of Eden in Genesis 2. But I don't think that's it. There wasn't a, there wasn't a city there. If you're an Israelite reading this when it was written and for years afterward, they would have thought Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem was their capital city. It was the place where God's presence dwelled in the temple. But it's interesting, there never has been, nor is there a river like this that runs through Jerusalem. And so what the psalmist is referring to, I believe, is the, the new Jerusalem that we see in, in uh, Revelation 21 and 22. It's the, it's the new Jerusalem. It's the completed Eden. There is a city in heaven that will descend to earth eventually where God dwells. It's safe, it's secure, and there's a river running through it. So what does this mean for us? All right, our context is the first stanza. This is, this is the context of many of our days. We live in a broken world where we're faced with trouble. But what does this city mean for us? The city that apparently is yet to come, it's far away. What are we supposed to do with this? What does this city mean to us? Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So going back for a minute, what makes this city in verses 3 through 5 secure? Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. The city is a, is, a, is a fortress paradise, and it's secure because God dwells there in the midst of her. And then we see in verse 1 
The psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Then look at verses 6 and 7. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so, so just to make sure we understand these words. Verse 1, he's our refuge. Verse 7, he's our fortress. Both of them say he's present. He's with us. All right, a, a refuge is where one finds a, asylum or rest. A fortress is a, a stronghold, usually built in, in isolation in an elevated place, and it provides protection against enemies. A refuge and a fortress are what people in trouble are seeking. If we put these things together, we see God is the fortress, God is the refuge, and he makes fortresses where he goes. He's a traveling refuge, he's a traveling fortress. And the psalmist seems to think that this, this refuge in heaven, this heavenly city that's centered around God, is also on earth with his people. It's ever-present. Moses understood this. In Exodus 33, verses 14 through 15, God is speaking to Moses and he says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest, refuge. My presence will go with you, and I will give you refuge. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. You see, Moses understood something. As he's with the Israelites and God is taking them on a journey into the promised land and they're going to be going through evil nation after evil nation in war, in battle, Moses realized the only hope we have of security and protection is if Yahweh, the Most High God, our fortress goes with us. He is our protection. He is our rest. Then look at verses 6 and 7. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So part of Israel's trouble for years was the fact that they were constantly at war with the nations. They had literal physical Enemies, they were at war, which is what these verses, verse, verses are talking about. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. But the Lord utters his voice, the earth melts. And then we see in verses 9 that the Lord makes wars cease. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots. And he can do it with his words. Israel was protected by a traveling fortress who traveled with them through the tabernacle, went to battle with them against enemy after enemy after enemy. And look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. And if you connect this to many other passages, the psalmist is talking about the, the Lord of the heavenly hosts, which includes uh, armies of angels. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels that the Lord is over. The Lord of angel armies is with us. 
So imagine this again with me. Go back to the first story. You're surrounded by raging sea and trembling, crumbling mountains. Now imagine something clicks in your vision and you're able to see what has been unseen to the physical eye. And you realize that as the mountains are are crumbling around you, you're troubled, your anxiety, what leads you to be depressed, the fear that you can't pay your your bills or you won't have uh, you won't have enough retirement set up. The pain that comes with losing someone you love, the fear and trembling that comes with being diagnosed with a raging disease, the list goes on and on and on. This is our life. We're back in it. And now imagine you can see more clearly than you've ever seen before. And as you're surrounded by the water and the mountains are crumbling, you see that you are surrounded by something else, someone else. God Almighty, the Most High, is surrounding you. And not just God, but thousands of angels in concentric circles around you. Imagine in the midst of the storm, you look up and you see thousands upon thousands of angels with the Lord of hosts there protecting you. The danger is real. The danger can touch you, but it can't crush you. It doesn't have the last word. There's two realities here. The problem is we have trouble uh, seeing the second reality. Seeing trouble for us is much easier than seeing protection. Let me say that again. Seeing trouble in our lives is much easier than seeing the protection that God provides. And so it takes work. It takes work to see through the eyes of faith what God sees, what Scripture shows us. It's not as easy as seeing the danger. And so how, maybe we ask, how do we sharpen our eyes of faith? How do we come, become more aware of God's, uh, his protection, his angels, his security that's always around us? Well, the psalmist gives us two ways. And they're really the only two commands or invitations in this whole psalm. There's two. The first one is in verse 8. The psalmist says, Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is an invitation to Israel and an invitation to us to behold what God has done throughout history. To remember the Lord's deliverance from ages past. It's an invitation for Israel to remember crossing the Red Sea when they were sandwiched between the Red Sea of chaos and the invading Egyptian army and they had nowhere to go. It's an invitation for them to behold in their mind's eye through the stories that they've been told to remember how the Lord parted the sea of chaos. He delivered his people through the chaos. And then when the enemy pursued, he took the chaos and he overwhelmed the enemy. And Israel was brought safely to the other side. 
We're to be a people who behold the works of the Lord. It's an invitation for Israel to remember Jericho when they had to pass through the evil, powerful nation of Jericho when the Lord told them to go through the city. And they watched the Lord destroy the entire walls of the city to crumble the evil nation by trumpets and shouting and a bunch of walking. It's absurd. It's because God God is the God of salvation who delivers. And the stories repeat throughout Scripture. God's saying, remember what I've done. Behold my works. And so the application here I want to encourage you with is to read and to reread and to reread the old stories throughout Scripture. Right? Moses and David and Jericho are not just for our children to learn about Sunday morning and Sunday school and sing songs about. These stories are for people who fear and forget to remember God's faithfulness as people who continue in our own way to face Red Seas, Jericho walls, and giant enemies. They are there for us to know and be reminded of God's power and deliverance again and again and again against all the odds. They are here for us to be reminded in our weak faith that God is a God of salvation and of security for his people. So South City Church, behold the works of the Lord. Do it daily because we forget and we see the trouble and that's all we see. And God says, remember what I've done. And I'd also encourage you to reflect upon God's deliverance and salvation in your own story. I think all of you can look back at your life and see specific ways where you thought this was it. This is the day where the depression ends me. This is the day I can't go any further. This is the day where I can't take any more. And God brought you through it. Nothing about this psalm means that you won't face trouble, but it means it doesn't have the last word. So reflect on your own story. I would encourage you to write out some of your story to do it slowly and thoughtfully over, maybe over years. Take moments of your past and write them out. Dialogue with God and remember his works. Behold his works through his faithfulness to your life. This is what we do every Sunday. We gather together to behold and remember the Lord's deliverance throughout history, throughout the church. We repeat the, the Apostles' Creed, reminded that we're, we're with a body of believers who has ex- existed for thousands of years. God isn't just a God of right now. He's been the God of eternity past. Behold his works. And the second invitation is in verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. What I found interesting this week as I was studying this, is that it doesn't say, it doesn't say what I normally do, which is in the midst of trouble, I want to run and escape the trouble and find security so that I can be still and have peace. The context here is trouble, but the psalmist just says, be still, 
where you are. You don't have to escape trouble to find the fortress. You don't have to get out from underneath the danger to be protected because the fortress is surrounding you where you are. Like, what good news? I want to run from it, find security, and then be able to be still. The psalmist says, just be still in the midst of it. Behold the works of the Lord. Remember what he's done. The fortress is around you. All you have to do is be still enough to be aware of his presence and his protection. If you put these, these two together, God is saying, know who I, or know, remember what I've done? Remember what I've done and be still and know who I am. Remember what I've done and be still and know who I am. So you don't have to flee your trouble. And what I say hopefully isn't confusing and contradictory to you. Hopefully you can separate it out. You don't have to flee. But in the midst of the trouble, let me ask you this. Where are physical places that you feel connected, most connected to the Lord? Where are physical places? Maybe it's Sunday morning for you. For me, it's often going outside. It's going into creation, it's going into nature. And I do this often, I go down to the river and I sit and I'm still. And God just reminds me of these things as I sit there. As I get out from underneath the roof of a building and I see the vastness of the sky, I'm reminded that the Lord is the creator and sustainer of all things. He's powerful. I'm small, and that's good. As I see Osprey dive and catch fish, I'm reminded the Lord provides for his creation. In the midst of most days, I struggle believing that he's going to keep providing for my family the way I think we need. And I'm reminded there that he provides for the birds of the air. Is he not going to provide for me? And I go there, and I see the, the beauty of the sun reflecting off the water. I see kids playing in uh, a pool up above me, and I'm reminded God is the giver of good gifts. He delights in us. He longs for us to find enjoyment. And so I would encourage you to, to go places, not to escape, but to be still. Places where you connect with the Lord. And where, or maybe, maybe when are the times? Are there certain times during the day that you're able to be still more naturally? Capitalize on those times. Maybe it's early morning, maybe it's late at night, maybe it's midday, I don't know. But when are the times during the day that you're most alert and you're awake and aware? Take time to be still during those times regularly to be reminded the Lord is your refuge. And as we, as we get to the end, I want to point our eyes to, to Jesus. And I think how this passage points us to Jesus. So there's a city of God. And as I said earlier, as the Israelites would have read this, they would have thought about Jerusalem. And as they thought about God dwelling in the midst of Jerusalem, they would have thought about where? The temple. The temple was where God came and dwelled in the Holy of Holies. That's what they would have thought of. 
It was the place they could come for refuge in God's presence in the temple. And then Jesus comes on the scene as he's dialoguing with the Jews. He says in John 2, 19 through 22, he says, destroy this temple, they're at the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus is the temple. And for us, he is the, the place where God's presence resides. And before Jesus uh, went back, he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples he was going to send a helper, a Holy Spirit. And we know the Holy Spirit has then come. It's Jesus' presence living within us. So we don't have to, to travel and make pilgrimage to Jerusalem to be in God's presence. He's with us through his spirit. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is also the river. If you've never read Ezekiel 47, a lot of you probably haven't. It's a strange passage. Read it. Write it down. Read Ezekiel 47. It's an image, uh, a picture of what's to come. And God gives Ezekiel a, a picture of what's to come. And in this section, there's, uh, there's a picture of a river. And in this river, the passage says there's healing. There's trees with leaves that provide healing to the nations. And there's this line in verse 9. It says, everything will live where this river goes. And then we see in Revelation 21 and 22, specifically Revelation 22, that in the new heavens and the new earth, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. There's trees along its bank and its leaves provide healing to the nation. And do you know where the river flows from? Revelation 22 says the river flows from the throne of Jesus. Jesus is the source of life and healing and blessing. Jesus is this river. And in this passage, we have a sea. And we know from Jesus' life that he is the one who calms the sea. As he's on the boat with his disciples and a, a storm comes up, once again, the disciples are freaking out and Jesus calms it with his word. Jesus calms our seas. And then later in the Gospels, he would actually enter into the heart of the world's greatest storm. He would enter into the storm of God's wrath, the chaos of our sin on the cross, and it would crush him. Or so they thought, until he walked out of the grave three days later, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating the chaos, and he ushered in a new phase of living on earth. A phase that one day leads to the new Jerusalem, where a river flows from a throne and brings life and gladness to the land. A city where John writes, one day the sea will be no more. The sea of chaos and trouble in our life will one day not exist 
Because Jesus went into the sea. He took the weight of the mountains of our sin, the wrath of God, and he defeated it. One day, trouble will no longer be a reality. We'll only have one reality. And it's the second one. But for now, there are coexisting realities in your life. There is trouble and there is protection. There's a storm and there's a fortress. There is a raging, unruly sea and a peaceful, life-giving river. There is a raging and unruly sea and one who calms seas. There is chaos and there is the one who orders the chaos. If you're going to be human, you have to acknowledge both of these realities. You can't ignore the trouble. But you can only bow down to and worship one of these realities. Which one are you going to cling to? Which one are you going to be friends with? Which one of these realities are you going to let rule over the other? And to which one will you give the last word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this passage and we enter into communion in just a few minutes, God, I thank you that you took on flesh and you came down into the trouble. You came down into the eye of the storm. And you were buried by it. so that we could be raised up and delivered out of it. Thank you for that good news this morning, God. God, I ask that as people who day after day will be hit with the waves and the crumbling mountains and the wind and the pain of life, may we be people who Come and behold your works again and again and again and again. So we remember that there's another reality. And the other reality wins. May we rest in that. May we find refuge in you. Thank you for being our refuge, our strength, and our fortress in times of trouble that though the earth gives way, we don't need to fear. God, continue to protect us and lead us and strengthen our eyes of faith. Remind us again and again of your goodness and your steadfast love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.